0: Hey, welcome to Movie Geeks United, September Blu ray edition of the Blue mm-hmm. Report. I'm Jamie. As usual, Adam is here with us too, the Blu ray guru. <laughs> uh,
1: the last man standing when it comes to physical media, or one of the few, anyway. But that's okay. I'll go down with the ship, right? I guess. Yeah.
0: Well, I was talking to Aaron the other night, and we were. T- and whatever brought it up, I was thinking of that uh, documentary they made about the game that brought down Atari, the, that E.T. game.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. And
0: I remember the, when they had the construction dump dump trucks and cranes and stuff like digging in the desert to look for the remnants of the last remaining E.T. games that they threw out in a landfill. So when you say that you're the last man standing in support of physical media, I was just picturing you operating a construction tr- crane digging up landfills of Blu-rays. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I would be the guy who would be getting excited over all the finds, and maybe the only person who would be. So, yeah, I would be like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. Yeah,
0: you'd be like, this belongs in a museum. You'd be like the <laughs> Indiana Jones, archaeologist of uh, physical media.
1: That's me, man. Somebody's got to do it. It's a, Actually, the studios are com- consistently surprising me with uh, their – uh, I think they've gotten the memo that they can still get a little bit more revenue by releasing some physical media of titles that have been long neglected. And uh, there, there's an uptick for sure, uh, special, especially from um, studios like uh, Paramount. And Warner Archive had been rumored to be shutting down their operations. But from what I understand, uh, that's, uh, they're going to be continu- t- continuing of the or- Warner Archive label for some time now. Hmm. Uh not sure exactly what the plans are, but they'll be announcing uh, – originally, the, the plan was that they would fold it up at the end of this year, and whatever titles they had lined up was was it. But uh, I understand that they've, um, they've rehired some of their old staff uh, who was in charge of that sort of thing, and uh, they're going to continue on. So I guess they got the memo, too, that maybe there's money to, to be had, and we don't want to leave the money on the table, right?
0: Right. I mean, I I understand the on-demand thing, because Warners is on-demand, right? They They press it on – Demand, so they're I so they're not pre- so, yeah. pressing tens of thousands of of copies that won't sell.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, let's. There's something to be said for that, but uh, but they're they're Blu-rays. Well, I I know they started out that way. Now I'm not sure the Blu-rays. Some of those I think are mass pressed, from what I understand, but not all. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, uh, yeah, there is some of that going on. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um. But anyway, without. Any further ado, we'll just get right down to it. We'll start with September the 7th, and we'll announce uh, or mention that John Carpenter's The Thing has made its way to 4K Ultra HD by uni- from Universal, And what this means is that if you bought the Scream uh, or the Scream Factory edition, the Blu-ray edition from 2016, which, by the way, is fantastic and has quite a few extras that are exclusive to that edition. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll still need to keep that because uh, they have the licensing to all of those extras that were on that edition. And Universal is only able to port over the extras that were previously issued on their uh, universal Blu-ray of the thing, but the uh, the, the screen factory version of the, of the thing is terrific. It's the one that I have. I, I did not get a, a uh, 4K upgrade on this yet. Probably will at some point, but I understand the transfer is pretty spectacular, and it was supervised by Dean Coondy, the cinematographer who worked with John Carpenter on many of his films. Um,
0: and I would imagine that Zach's uh, not, you know s- yeah. some of the special effects heavy movies of the 70s and 80s, when they get upgraded like this, you can really... See the seams behind the effects, but the fact that the thing was so much practical, yeah, uh, I would imagine that uh, it's it still looks very impressive in four k,
1: yeah, I think so. I think so. They were kind of a uh, that was cutting edge technology at the time, and I think they they hid the seams quite well. So I think it probably uh, I want to get this. I want to take a look at it myself. I just just haven't gotten around to it yet and But anyway, I will mention, for whatever it's worth, that Snyder's Justice League, the 4-hour and 12-minute Justice League, uh, that so many people were clamoring for. Uh, I, I not among them, uh, full disclosure. But uh, there were, there was quite of a swell, a a fan swell, for getting this out there, and so HBO Max saw the potential revenue stream for getting people to, as an enticement to get people to subscribe to their service. They put this, had him recut his film, and put his version out there and it's now been issued on 4K Ultra HD. I tried watching it. I'm just not the intended audience for this movie. I got through 75 minutes of it. That was it. I was done. Yeah. Um so I'm not that guy. Uh so if you have complaints, I'm sorry. I'm not the guy who's into that sort of thing. I've just I'm I'm suffering from superhero fatigue at this point and burnout and um and I got know, into I
0: got into it on Facebook yeah. with someone last week. Cuz mm-hmm. I I really comment on things yeah but there was someone in a film group in there that posted um alfred hitchcock's the birds what do you guys think and so i commented i said the the last hour of it i think is thrilling and the first hour is laboriously exposition heavy <laughs> and, Excellent. Then, and then this guy commented and said it's called a screenplay it's building up it's building up the characters and that sort of thing. If you want nothing but thrills and kills, try a Marvel movie. And I was like, "God, he just responded to the wrong person." <laughs> so I was like, I, I, "Exactly." I said, "I know what a screenplay is, but the but the artful screenplay set up characters and circumstances in a in a way that doesn't feel like a chore." Uh, and I said, you know, and, and if you were to tell Hitchcock that you watch his movies because you're not looking for thrills, he'd probably think you're an idiot. And so everybody else starts to jump on my back. <laughs> and yeah. i like, I love Hitchcock too, but he's not infallible. I said, in my opinion, uh, you know, dismissing that Marvel, people throw that Marvel thing around to instantly kind of dismiss somebody. Uh, but aside from that, bs i said look there's two kinds of movies there's movies where characters drive plot like psycho and then there's yes. movies where the plot happens to the characters so if the characters are just there for the plot to happen to them then why the hell are we spending an hour in their company before anything happens to them in the birds that's my only point <laughs> it yeah, makes sense to me
1: a great point a great point i could not agree more uh yeah that's uh I think The Birds is a great 80 minute film locked inside of a 120 minute running time so yeah. that's a, uh, <laughs> that's my opinion on The Birds and in the final hour is spectacular I agree it is uh, And that's entirely, Hitch- that's film, entirely
0: Hitchcock it's not an investment in characters and anything the characters right. in Psycho the specificity of those characters is directly connected to the themes of that movie they drive yep. it
1: Yep, that's and it right. And
0: they have resonance, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway. Right get, there with you. Off my soapbox.
1: No, I'm right there with you. I totally agree. And uh, I was lucky enough to see the birds on the big screen in a local theater. They had a revival of it oh, about six years ago. It was the first time I'd ever seen it in a theater. And, it, uh, again, I had the same issues uh, seeing it then. I don't think I've revisited since then. It'd be great to watch it in a theater. I, uh, seeing it I, in a theater.
0: I would definitely jump at the chance to see it in a theater or any Hitchcock, you know.
1: Yeah, it was. I've seen the. I've seen Vertigo. I saw it in nineteen ninety eight when it came around. Robert Harris's restoration. Me too. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I was able to see that with the DTS sound. It was pretty spectacular then. And uh, and then I saw The Birds. In uh, like I said, two thousand fifteen. I think those are the only two Hitchcock films I've seen on a a big screen.
0: But now, unless unless you live in L.A. especially or New York. you know, it's Halloween yep. month. It's Halloween month, so everybody's a lot of a lot of theaters are showing Psycho and those kinds of things. But you're just sitting and watching a DVD. You're going out to watch a DVD on the big screen. So, but if it's New York or LA, you know, you're actually watching a print. You know,
1: or if you're lucky enough to catch a a, a DCP of it, you know, those those aren't quite. That's a little bit of a step uh, up from the Blu-ray. You know, so you do get that sometimes. Uh, the The theater that I have in my area that runs older films occasionally, they do run the DCPs. They they make a well, special. That's good. That's good. Uh, uh, so so they do they they try to do the best they can, and it, it looks pretty pretty spectacular what they do. They um uh, uh, they ran Creature from the Black Lagoon, I think, three years ago in three D. So um
0: well, I guess you know North, North Carolina is way ahead of Florida. I think if you told Floridians that you're about a DCP, they think it was a sexual position you do with your cousin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, yeah, yeah, I've they're, tried they're... that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, we do have a few theaters. They're they're getting thinner and thinner, but we've got a few here who do care about the presentation So in the uh, Charlotte area. So hats off to them. And I'm thinking of uh, – I'll actually give them a shout-out. The Arsley Grand is the local chain. It's a locally-owned chain, a theater rather, not a chain, that mm. does this. So uh, they're they're pretty good about that. But um, they're mm-hmm. running actually their Halloween festival this year. But there's nothing there that I haven't seen too many times. And so I'm, I'm going to skip it. But, um, you know, it's good stuff.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Creature from the Black Lagoon. I was actually in the mood to see that again for a couple of weeks. So I might check that out because there have been these behind the scenes photos like floating around Facebook for mm-hmm. Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I was like, I need to watch that again because that used to be a favorite as a kid.
1: Yeah, I didn't get to see it. I know Revenge of the Creature came around here on local TV in 3D when they had the red and green uh, in 82, I think it was. But I was on vacation the week they ran it, and I didn't get to see it. Everybody else did. You bought the glasses at the 7-Eleven, I remember. Right, right. uh, So, yeah, they, they, they did that. And Gorilla at Large was the other one they ran in our area, and I think it was a syndication package. And that's when 3D was on the upswing. They were bringing it back. It was the same summer Friday the 13th, Part 3 came out, and mm. Coming, Coming At You, I think, was out around that time. So, yeah, there was a thing, and so I missed those, but I would have I don't know why I did not go see Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D three years ago when they ran it. I was just really super busy that week, and I was like, ah, you know, and I didn't think too much about it, and I've really regretted it ever since I,
0: yeah, I missed it. Cool. And, and
1: I think I think two years ago they ran Don't Look Now. That was part of their... Uh, horror Fest, which was a pretty good choice, too, I thought. So. Um,
0: well, they used to play on the lo- um, local TV channel. They used to play Creature in 3D every Halloween. It was a tradition when I was a kid, and uh-huh. you know, compounded by the fact that the movie was shot in Florida. You
1: know. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, anyway, we'll say this Justice League, uh, for those who love it or are interested... The one thing that really bothered me, aside from the film's content, which is not for me, as I said, and I'm not saying that this is not a film that will appeal to those who love the DC, Marvel universes, whatever. Uh, If it's your cup of tea, join right in. But uh, this was bizarre. This film is shot in the 1.37 to 1 ratio, which is – it's like a television show. So – You know, and this is becoming a thing that I'm really annoyed with. I'll get on my soapbox, I guess. Is a lot of these films I'm seeing that are shot in a boxy format. uh, And I don't go. When I see a movie, I want to see spectacle. I want to see something big. I don't want to see a a glorified television show uh, disguised as a film. And that's what I felt like this was. Why would they do that with a Marvel movie? I don't or know what it is at DC, yeah, it, I don't know, I don't know, I thought... Is it just that, the
0: extra footage they shot, or is it all in that format? No, it's the
1: whole movie, the entire 4 hours and 12 minutes is all 1.37 to 1, and I don't know why, and it just was a bizarre choice to me, and I, it doesn't, that really detracted even farther from me, for me, the experience, I was, uh, I said, this is just a glorified television show as presented on the disc, so... Anyway, the quality is spectacular for what it is. There's some featurettes, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to say much more about it. But anyway, we'll move along to something else, the 4K Ultra HD release of the first four Star Trek films. Mm. And a lot of 4K, people saying, all of them? Yeah, just the first four, though. Um, that A lot of people are asking, you know, why is it they're just releasing the first four? Why not release the original six voyages with the original crew? And supposedly there's a story arc that... Continues through uh, two, three, four, and then a story arc that goes five, six, seven. So uh, supposedly that's why they're releasing them this way. I've also heard rumors that they just didn't have time to get them all finished, and so they just wanted to put out the first four. But whatever the case, uh, th- these are uh, quite spectacular. The uh, boy, I'm using that word too much this show. Uh, they, they look great. These transfers, uh, they are quite quite something to behold. Um, the detail is is quite extraordinary. They're and, also, they're uh, also the, the they're also the features, ones that
0: are best thought of, right? I mean, best best regarded, I, I, or or yes. or are there cults of people that love five and six, or
1: well, six is pretty highly regarded because Nicholas Meyer returned, you know, to the fold. You know, he worked on uh, two and four, and so he did. He was involved creatively with the 6 one. I think he directed.
0: Is that I undiscovered he, country? Which one is six?
1: Yes, yes, okay. that's the one. God, yeah, I'm so shocked! That, I knew that. You did well, my friend. You did well. Uh, but yes, uh, the sixth one is is held in pretty held in pretty high esteem. So you know, but yeah, the fifth one not so much. That's the one that William Shatner directed, and right, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, more of a vanity project than an actual Star Wars film, a uh, uh, Star Trek film rather, I think. But anyway, uh, I will mention to people who are listening that Star Trek the Motion Picture here is the original theatrical cut, because the director's cut is the one that most people prefer and I will say that it has been announced that the director's cut is being restored to 4K as well. They just couldn't do it, and it's going to take a year to get that restoration done, and the reason is that the special effects, it was previously issued on DVD. But the special effect shots that were added to complete the director's cut were done at one K. So they're gonna have to go in there and completely upgrade them to four K, the effect shots. And wow. the film elements can be transferred to four K rather rather easily relatively easily, but the special effect shots are going to have to be completely redone. And so they're assembling the team from twenty years ago with the exception of Robert Wise. Who's now
0: gone? Yeah, I was about to say it's so it's so great that uh, Robert Wise has a director's cut because that's a that's an option that he denied Orson Welles.
1: <laughs> yes, this is true. This is very true. Uh, but yeah, this uh, he he approved of the cut that was released in 2001. Was ha- quite happy with it, from what I understand. And so uh, they're going to be the the rest of the remaining team who are still among us are going to be involved in this, and it's going to debut on Paramount's streaming network, and then we'll go to DISC next mm. year. So mm. anyway, so anybody who wants to know about the status of Star Trek, the motion picture, there you go. That's what's so going on. So are we in-
0: reaching a point where physical media might be an opportunity to promote
1: streaming channels? In some ways, yes. It kind of ties together, especially in this case, because, you know, people are really the, the, the physical media people who are gurus like myself they, uh, they have really been clamoring for a 4K disc upgrade of the director's cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture, and they just didn't see that it was economically feasible until they launched the Paramount streaming service, and then they saw the opportunity to get more viewers. That way, it's like, oh, we can we can do this and release it on disc, and we can also get people to watch the service because yeah. it's a good way to tease, you know, to advertise, and so it's all tying together in that way. So it's quite interesting how they're um, doing this. Yeah. So, but anyway, it will happen. It will happen, and the remaining films are going to happen as well. So, um, so speaking of Hitchcock, a couple of his uh, classics, Rear Window and Vertigo. Uh, they have they were issued previously in a box set, uh, but they've been issued separately. Now you can get them separately if you just want those two titles. Rear Window Vertigo on 4K Ultra HD. Um, previous extras have been retained. We'll mention that. A couple of uh, Disney titles.
0: The other titles in that box set are not available? The, like the Psycho th- and the... Um-
1: yeah, I think they issued those last month or the month before. Okay. So I think they're out there. They were already out, I think. Um, but anyway... Rear Window and Vertigo, as I said, um, have been issued. Uh, so Flight of the Navigator, Something Wicked This Way comes from 1983, and The Watcher in the Woods from 1980 starring Betty Davis. All three of these uh, have been issued by Disney, as part, uh, and but you have to be a member of their Disney movie club to get them, but they're on Blu-ray. Disney uh, Movie Club. Yeah, it's what it is. It's kind of like the old uh, Columbia House Record Club, the CBS Record Club, whatever we used to do when we were kids, where you pay, you know, you get three records for a penny, and then you have to buy <laughs> so many. It's the same kind of deal. No but, kidding. Yeah, but it's interesting because they have a lot of titles that are exclusive to their site that you can't buy any other way. Mm. Like the Black Hole is an example of that, and there are the Herbie movies, the Love Bug. Uh, I think Herbie. I think all the Herbie movies are available that way. So anyway, it's uh, the Disney Movie Club it has some exclusive releases on Blu-ray of some of their titles, and three of the new ones: Fly to the Navigator, or Something Wicked This Way Comes, and The Watcher in the Woods are among them.
0: Hmm.
1: So just wanted to uh, to mention that the Woody Woodpecker Screwball Collection is a collection of uh, Woody Woodpecker animated shorts made between 1941 and 1972. That's a Universal release as well. Didn't get a review copy of that, but um, no, it's. Um, uh, I hear it's quite comprehensive. Uh, State of the Union, Frank Capra's State of the Union from 1948. One of his later films has been issued by Universal as well. And the Star Trek films also have been issued separately on Blu-ray. I think this is with new transfers as well. But anyway, uh, Scream 2 has been issued. Paramount has finally uh, reissued that. That was out of print as 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 has Scream 3. Those were uh, out of print, and they uh, Paramount has now retained the rights to the Miramax library and are diligently re-releasing some of these titles that have gone out of print. So, wanted to mention that. Uh, that they've done that. Um, Probably because there's a new Scream movie on the way. Yeah, they're doing a 4K issue of the original Scream uh, for its... Um, was it twenty-fifth anniversary or something? I think. So anyway, that's that's forthcoming. That anyway, uh, a couple of Kino releases here because of him from nineteen forty-six. For the love of Mary from nineteen forty-eight. Something in the wind nineteen forty-seven. And can't help singing from nineteen forty-four. Those have all been issued, and we shall move along to. Let's see. We're up to September 14th already. Speaking of Disney, we have uh, Black Widow has been issued in 4K. That's uh, Disney, of course. I need not say that, I guess. Everybody
0: knows that. Oh, I was thinking of the Deborah Winger movie. You're talking about the Scarlett Johansson
1: movie. Oh, yeah, the the lawsuit (laughs) film. I was was like, what an
0: odd title to put in 4K.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, anyway, so, uh, again, no review copy on that, uh, but if you're a fan, it's out there. In multiple editions, there's a uh, steel box, there's the regular, you know, yada, yada, yada. Shawshank Redemption has been issued in 4K, with a new transfer supervised by the great cinematographer Roger Deakins, and I have been told, I didn't get a review copy of this one, unfortunately, as well, but I am told that this is reference-quality stuff, that it is absolutely beautiful to behold, and if you were a fan of this film, I'm one of the few people who saw Shawshank Redemption in a theater. I don't know too many, but uh, I am one of them, and I was a, I was a fan. Uh, I am shocked at how successful it has become in its video, and its life on video and all that. It's been uh, quite a surprise to me
0: over the years. Well, they are trying to build up um, interest in it, so I watched it a couple of weeks before it opened uh and then since i managed the theater and then there was a preview screening for a general audience uh like the week or so before it came out and i remember people walking out of the movie and they loved it Mm -hmm. uh it's just that uh i remember a discussion i had with a guy that walked out of it and he said it's just a bad title like what are they doing with that title like who's gonna go see a movie with that title (laughs) but it's a
1: great yeah totally agree Yeah, uh, it's um, I'm glad that it finally has caught on because it uh, it is good. It is good for sure. Uh, So a couple of uh, other titles released on that day. Mona Lisa, the 1986 film from director Neil Jordan. Of course, this kind of made Bob Hoskins a a household name, I think, at this point, led to his being cast in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He, uh, you know, he was a working actor at that point and had done some, you know, the long uh, the long good night or and good some friday. other things yeah a uh, good friday yes sorry uh, long good friday yeah uh, and um so you know he was known but uh not i think this kind of pushed him into the the mainstream a little bit but a uh, very interesting film um i had not seen it in many many years looks great on the new criterion blu-ray with some extras here we have um supervised, the uh, the 2K digital restoration supervised by uh, Neil Jordan himself and the director of photography. Audio commentary from 97 featuring Jordan and Bob Hoskins and a new conversation with Jordan and actor, actress Kathy Tyson who's in the film and plays the call girl uh, whom mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins' character chauffeurs around and basically that's what it's about. He's a down-on-his-luck guy, just released from prison, gets a job chauffeuring a, a call girl around and falls for her and she has Plans that she wants him to uh, – something she wants him to help her accomplish, and he gets caught into this uh, – This uh, he gets down in a darker place than what he expected uh, when he agreed to help her out. And so uh, it's – I don't want to spoil too much of it. But anyway, good a good film, certainly. Yeah, and, it's a well-regarded
0: uh, movie. Neil Jordan had some luck with, um, uh, with making these very much under-the-radar movies that caught – critical attention and brought them to the forefront in the public and Mona Lisa was one and then of course the crying game was the other yeah the the crying game was such a shock to the system
1: (laughs) oh yeah it sure was in more ways than one Um, yeah more ways than one so the Sam Katzman collection has been issued by Arrow video, uh, Cold War Creatures, four films from producer Sam Katzman. This is an interesting box set. Uh, he was a producer who was uh, working quite steadily in the 50s, and four of his films that were made, uh, I think they were released, all of them from Columbia Pictures, Creature with the Atom Brain, the Werewolf, Zombies of Moratal, and the Giant Claw have all been issued in this box set with Lots of com- – there's commentaries on each film, uh, featurettes, interviews. What decades uh, were these? These were in the 50s, all okay. in the uh, mid – most of them mid-50s. We're talking like 52, 3, 4, 5, 6, somewhere in those years. But, yeah, it's um, it's quite uh, – you know, it's quite interesting. Uh, some of these films are the, – the quality varies. 1955 to 50, 57 were the release years. Uh, but, yes, it's um, – they are uh they are quite interesting to say the least just come out with those that's arrow video hmm. so uh, yeah they uh it's it's kind of uh the giant claw has you know, has a place in history obviously for being one of the the worst of the 50 sci-fi films because <laughs> the special effects are just so bad but but in a bad in a good way if that makes any sense but anyway um uh, but we shall go on to another title Alone in the Dark From 1982 This is a Screen Factory release Directed by Jack Shoulder Who would go on to helm the second Nightmare on Elm Street film The one mm. that has the, the really strong cult, cult following <laughs> With the uh, The uh, the very effeminate lead actor That's uh,
0: The homoerotic overtones character. Yeah,
1: The homoerotic Was that uh, yeah. scene
0: at the beginning I, I don't remember when that movie came out If that was a thing or if it's just something that caught on for people reading into it.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I can't. I, you know, for years they they denied that there was any thing homoerotic, and they finally said, I think Jack Shoulder finally came out and said, yeah, there was, yeah. I think, at some point. But a uh, friend of mine, a colleague of mine actually served on a jury, a film festival jury with Jack Shoulder, and they were uh, judges on a film jury, and he said he's just a super nice guy, uh, a lot of fun to hang out with. And he had really good things to say about him. So I never got around to meeting him, but my my colleague did and has nothing but pleasant things to say. So Mm. anyway, I'm sure he does have stories. Alone in the Dark is a a pretty good film, actually. Um, It's one of these films, uh, clips of it turn up in Terror in the Isles, that horror film compilation from the 80s. And I had always wanted to see it because I remember seeing the clips. And basically the premise is that uh, you have Jack Palance and you have Martin Landau and they are two of the several uh, inmates at a mental hospital who escape when the power goes out. And uh, Donald Pleasance is, imagine this, he's the, uh, the doctor who's mm. uh, trying to reel them in. <laughs> Shades of Halloween. Anyway, it's, it's a fun movie uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to watch Palance and Landau portray mental, mental patients uh, who, are on the,
0: uh, who are terrorizing folks. You know, I watch a lot of um, I watch a lot of old Carsons and Cavits and all that kind of stuff, and uh, I don't ever remember seeing Donald Pleasants on an interview show. Have Isn't
1: that you, interesting?
0: Yeah, I haven't either. Because when you're talking about him, I'm thinking, well, I wonder, I wonder how he actually thought about being in Halloween and having a whole new kind of revived presence in movies based on, you know, being part of an iconic horror. And yeah. I've never seen him talk about it in old interviews.
1: The Pleasance of Presence. <laughs> the Presence of Pleasance. The, <laughs> yeah, get that out.
0: Something's in there.
1: Yeah. So that three times fast. Yeah, anyway, Uh yes. So yeah, that that would be. I I need to do a search to see if I can turn up something that would be that would be good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is a this is a fun movie. Like I said, I I quite enjoyed it. Uh, is it great? No, it's not great, but it's 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 a good. Solid Halloween film with a few uh, genuine, sh- genuine scares that uh, you know kind of caught me off guard. Did uh, Del Toro
0: like to s- uh, produce a remake of that with Katie Holmes in it? Wasn't there a movie called Alone in the Dark a couple of years ago?
1: Uh, there was Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which is ah, a remake okay. of a uh, '70s television film. Okay. So yeah, it's no. Uh, I think there was a Yuli Bowl film called uh, "Alone in the Dark," which has no resemblance. Yeah, which refers to the
0: one person that went to the theater to see it.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, the, the, the but the new scream edition of uh, "Alone in the Dark" uh, it was long requested by many fans. It's um has new scan of the film, new interview with Jack Shoulder, a commentary, uh, actress uh, interview with Carol Levy, who's in the film, and uh interview with the uh, the underground punk film that's in the film called the sick fox that's the name of the group so <laughs> they're a punk band that appears in the film the theatrical sick, trailer the sick fox yes F u c k s. oh, oh Fox. okay yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the sick fox anyway oh yeah well anyway moving along uh you know, we have a uh, local producer in our area. Uh, his name's Earl Owensby, and he was a big deal in the 70s. He made a lot of films tailored to the, uh, the drive-ins, and he basically built a literally a film studio in a cow pasture. He built seven sound stages in a cow pasture and had his own thing going on here in our backyard and had quite a bit of success. He was actually profiled on 60 Minutes at one point, and two of his films have been issued on Blu-ray this month. One of them is Death Screams, and this was really bizarre when I found this out. It's directed by David Nelson of Ozzy and Harriet Nelson fame. He was oh. the older brother of Ricky Nelson. The only one of the few directorial efforts of David Nelson, but it's uh, it's it's a typical slasher film of it of that time period, 1982. But it's done, like I said, being filmed in my backyard with uh, at locales that I'm used to seeing. Uh, that kind of ad- gave it a little added something. I don't know. But uh, it's it's an interesting little film. Death Screams from Arrow Video has released this. And Day of Judgment is a film from Severin Films. And it's another Earl Owensby production. And uh, the guy who's our local weatherman on our NBC affiliate here, still to this day has been for going on 50 years now, he's in the film and plays a pretty big role. So <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, Day of Judgment is a is a, a film about people being stalked by this um, this killer with a sickle who's going around killing people. But it's basically what it turns out to be is a uh, uh, I would say it's it's a a church sermon disguised as a horror film. It's it's interesting in that it has it kind of has the feel of that. But anyway, Day of Judgment and Death Screams, the Day of Judgment from Severin Films, Death Screams. Uh, from Arrow and both of those produced by Earl Owens being filmed in the, uh, the wild woods of uh, Shelby, North Carolina in the, uh, the Earl Owensby studios. So an Arrow video release from that day, September the, I think we were September the 14th. Yeah. Arabesque, which is directed by Stanley Donan. Mm. You know, Stanley Donan had a big success with charade, which was kind of a, Uh, a twisty, murder, mystery, thriller type uh, that had Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. And they tried to recapture that success two years later with a similar film called Arabesque. This is a Gregory Peck, Sophia Loren. And uh, it's it's quite entertaining. It has a lot of twists and turns and a lot of surprises. And uh, a great score by Henry Mancini and an archival featurette with Henry Mancini and the nationally syndicated columnist Leonard Feather. There's a trailer here audio commentary uh, by Steve Mitchell Nathaniel Thompson Howard Berger and um, TV spots TV tra- trailer poster gallery uh, but it's a lot of fun uh, it's basically Gregory Peck is a uh, he's a he decrypts messages for a living and he's given this uh, message that he's given a job to decrypt this message and it turns out that it that it's uh, people's lives are in the balance uh,
0: this is a very uh, and he ultimately identifies the zodiac killer right that's <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would have been a good... This was a few years before he first... Oh, I think it was the year he first struck. That's true. 66. Yeah. It's, it would, you know, wow. Uh, yeah, but anyway, Arabesque is a lot of fun, and I would uh, recommend that from Kino Lorber. And a couple other Kino titles, The French Conspiracy, 1972. Um, let's see. Rafifi in Paris, a Walk on the Wild Side, 1962. And we have The Blue Panther from 1965, Blue Beard from 1963, uh, just quite a few of the titles. that they're, They've always got a lot going on. And then we have uh, Boss Baby, the animated film Boss Baby has been issued in 4K. Just wanted to mention that for anybody who's, uh, who's curious. And Santa Fe Trail is another. Uh, actually, that's a Warner Archive release, Santa Fe Trail. And that, uh, stars Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland.
0: Hmm.
1: It's, uh, you know, it's about bright young lieutenants Jeb Stewart and George Armstrong Custer being assigned to Kansas Territory to guard the Santa Fe Trail. And, uh, directed by Michael Curtiz, of course, who did Casablanca and many, many other films for Warner Brothers. And, um,. You know uh, it's no extras here but a new brand new transfer and you also have Ronald Reagan and Alan Hale in supporting roles of Van Heflin. So wow. anyway, this Santa Fe Trail has been issued by Warner Archives. I wanted to, wanted to mention that one. and so I think we're already moving up to September the 21st I believe. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything here. I don't think it did, so we have a uh, Clockwork Orange was issued on September 21st in 4K Ultra HD with mm. a new transfer. Uh, Leon Vitali, of course, was the supervisor on the new transfer, and I hear it's quite good, uh, as to be expected. Um I don't think there are any new extras and in fact I think some of the extras from previous editions have not been retained from what I understand so if you have older editions of the Blue Ray of Clockwork Orange you might want to hold on to them but anyway there uh the transfer is is uh, you know probably worth the price for Kubrick devo- devotees yeah yeah I just hope,
0: I just hope they paid Leon for it because, uh, yeah, I hope so too. He's apparently, still. apparently he's yeah. not he's not very well, com- or in the past he hasn't been very well compensated for his restoration uh, guidance.
1: Yeah, that's a shame. It really is because he's so knowledgeable about those things, and he's really the closest thing we have to you know, since Kubrick's not around, he's the uh, he's the he's the flame, to, Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and he's uh, he's good at what he does, and talk about an overworked man. <laughs> <laughs> kubrick's been dead over 20 years and he's still being worked it out. so i remember anyway, i yeah.
0: remember when he um when i interviewed the guy the the guy and the girl they they're they're married or they're they're dating or something the ones that made film worker and they came to florida to film me for a movie they're still doing about eyes wide shut and mm-hmm. um and they called me and they said hey We'd like to interview Leon Vitali for the documentary. Do you have his can you give us his contact information? And I hate doing that, but I said okay, I'll mm-hmm. do it as long as you don't tell him where this came from because I don't want to overstep a boundary, but so I gave it to them and then <laughs> a year passed and then the paper the media announced that they were premiering a documentary called Filmworker at Cannes based on the life of Leon Vitali. I was like, what? They didn't let me know that. And so um, so they contacted me after I congratulated them. They said, oh, we're so sorry that we haven't made you aware of this, but you're the whole reason why we were able to get in touch with Leon to begin with, so thank you. And and Leon apparently would ask them, how did you find me, or who gave you my personal contact information? And they wouldn't tell him for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, "It's okay. You could let the cat out of the bag." I think he's probably happy to get a whole film about him. And then they <laughs> said, I, "We promise. We're jumping back on the Eyes Wide Shut documentary." But you know, they they spent time in Leon's company, and they said, "This is such an unheralded hero of the Kubrick filmography, of the Kubrick <laughs> legacy, that he deserves his own documentary." So I'm glad mm-hmm. they did it.
1: Yeah, me too. It is a great film too. Uh, yeah, I, I I saw it. Was was actually able to see it in a uh, in a theater, luckily, before the pandemic. So uh, yeah, and our
0: our friend Rick, I remember showing it to him, and uh, he was like, his main takeaway was, God, Kubrick was an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's that's what he got for the movie. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you do come away with that sense. There's no denying it. I have to say.
0: But I'm in the closing credits of the buoy, so that's yeah, even would, uh, even if, if I'm not in the Eyes Wide shot documentary, I said just credit me in for the thanks credit in, in the end of it or whatever. I'm happy. I don't need to be on camera.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I went to the screening with a, a film professor friend of mine who uh, teaches at a at a UNC, uh, at the University. Of North Carolina. he teaches there and so we went together and at the end I out to him i said ah because i he's a movie geeks fan and he listens to the show regularly i said look at there i said it's jamie's name <laughs> oh <laughs> okay,
0: that's yeah. cool that's cool i elbowed I, I, him i didn't even you know uh i remember years ago because i uh, for the kubrick series they interviewed the filmmakers of room two, 237 before they even started making their movie I just heard from Bill Blakemore that, yeah, these guys approached me. They're making a documentary about the different meanings of The Shining, and they asked me to participate. Maybe you should get in touch with them. So I said, cool. So I got in touch with them and had a conversation with them. And then, whatever, a year later or whatever, somebody writes me, a critic writes me from Sundance and said, Jamie, you had something to do with Room 237? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, you're in the closing credits. <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was odd, because I had no idea. It was odd to think that people at the Sundance Film Festival that hung around for the credits saw my name, you know, so many miles away without my knowing.
1: Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Just never know about these things. Yeah. It's uh, funny how it all works. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I guess the only thing I've ever gotten my name and as a credit on was the uh, the making of the other documentary. I did oh, well, get good. I did get something there, so there's something there.
0: Why well, didn't you know? I didn't expect that's me. it. me. It Won't was just find me anywhere else. <laughs> no, it was just the Kubrick series <laughs> anyway. and that whole thing. Uh, there wasn't anything. I just right. talked talk to these people and helped them, sure. and I better get a uh, thanks credit on Lee Unkrich's uh, upcoming Shining book because. Uh, I gave him like eight contacts for that book, mm-hmm. uh, and I have a feeling he's going to forget to thank me in the book. <laughs> oh boy! That's fine. I mean, what am I going to sue or something?
1: <laughs> I know. And how do you how do you handle that afterwards? It's like do you, do you say anything or you just let it go? Or it's a weird. It's an awkward. Uh, yeah, you know? but
0: it's you know, it's, it's, it's an odd journey because I mean, t- uh, twelve years ago or whatever it was, I wasn't. Hot on Kubrick until I started doing the Kubrick series, and now my name's on like multiple documentaries and, and several books. Movie Geeks United is quoted in several Kubrick books, you know. Yeah, so it's kind of a special trajectory.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely some great stories with the series. It's uh it's it's uh it's fascinating. It's great great work you did, no doubt about it. And
0: then I guarantee if they write a book about Barry Manilow, I'll be there too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No kidding. Well, you did a good interview with him. May have been <laughs> no, no, there, no, but no. it's good. It's good. Uh, uh, well, anyway, so we'll move on to uh, another Disney title. Believe it or not, we talk about Disney not being in support of uh, of uh, physical media, but they've done pretty well this month, I guess. That two other titles, Unbreakable, the two thousand film starring obviously Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, which eventually had its sequel a couple of years ago, Glass. And, you know, it's a 4K Ultra HD upgrade of that, uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, of course. And Cruella has been issued in a 4K upgrade as well. And not really an upgrade. It's a 4K Ultra HD release. Uh, first time ever. Hmm. Uh, F9, the Fast Saga, the latest in the Fast and Furious saga. Was has it ever
0: I- released in the U.S.?
1: It came out in theaters back in, I guess, June. I really? think it was June. Yeah, it it made a little money, but it was definitely a financial disappointment for them. I think it didn't do what they thought it would. But it kind of came and went, and it's already out there on the home video market with a few few a few extras. You got to get some fe- features. I think there's an extended cut as well, a longer cut. The original cut was two hours twenty five minutes. Jesus. So, uh, yeah, so. Uh, again, not for me, but uh, I'm not going to cast aspersions. Uh, you know, I've I've
0: liked it. okay. I, the ones that I've seen, I've liked okay. I, I, keeping in mind that I was well aware how ridiculous they were. Oh, and, yeah, and sure. uh, you know how how laughable uh, Vin Diesel's uh, performance skills are. How little is demand? <laughs> how little is demanded of him? Uh, you know, I, I I watch Vin Diesel in those movies, and i I think there's no. There's no personality. He just sits in the sits around and I mean, he does action, but all he talks about is we're family. That's like there's nothing kind of demanded of him performance-wise. <laughs> <laughs> and Bring I don't see Sam I don't M. see M. a charisma. Is there a charisma of Vin Diesel that I don't know about her?
1: No. The closest we came was when Lumet had him in Find Me Guilty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring back Lumet. Yeah. Um, oh boy. I know I know what you mean. Yeah, but there, exactly and it's not a mean. criticism
0: about the the fact that he's in, you know, disposable kind of action crap like Fast and Furious. It's because you could put another actor in there, and they'll bring a, their natural charisma and personality to it. I don't see a personality in Vin Diesel.
1: Right, sure, sure. I get what you're saying. Yep, I I uh I definitely feel feel it, feel feel the same. Yeah, well, uh. Here is a film that has been criminally neglected on Blu-ray. It finally has been given justice, breakdown, the Jonathan Mostow's 1997 thriller starring Kurt Russell about a a woman played by Kathleen Quinlan, his wife, in this film. Uh, The car dies on a highway, and a trucker played by J.T. Walsh offers her a ride to the local diner to get help, and then she disappears, and the rest of the film is Kurt Russell trying to figure out where she went and... What really happened? And the Naked Spur has been issued by the Warner Archive Collection as part of the Warner Archive Collection, and it's a uh, uh, Anthony Mann directs James Stewart in their fifth collaboration together. He's uh, James Stewart is a relentless leader of bounty hunters caught in the snare of the hunted, played by Robert Ryan. Generally well-reviewed western from 1953 uh, from MGM originally, and it, uh, the new Blu-ray includes. Vintage Pete Smith Specialty Short, Things We Can Do Without, Classic Cartoon, Little Johnny Jet, and the theatrical trailer. So that's what you get with the Naked Spur. And then we'll go on to another Warner Archive release, and that is Straight Time, the Dustin Hoffman Mm. 1978, Ulu Grasbard. And that is uh, – I was so happy to see this on Blu-ray. This is a film that um, certainly deserved a Blu-ray issue. There's no extras here, but, wow, what a great movie, right?
0: Exceptional movie, yeah. I wish they'd come out with a score.
1: I know. I was hoping, you know, some of these Blu-rays do – Have the aren't.
0: isolated track, right?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was hoping. But, uh, and I take this back. There are a couple of uh, a few extras here. There's the trailer, and there is a commentary by Hoffman and director Ulu Grossbard. When no kidding. Grossbard, but yeah, that comes from the original DVD. So, yes, there is a commentary that's retained here.
0: Oh, I'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah, so there is that. And the, uh, the vintage featurette that was shot at the time of the making of the film, Straight Time, he wrote it for criminals. Mm. So uh, There are a few extras here. So, um, yeah, terrific, terrific film. And um, you know, there's a great chapter on this in the Sam Osteen book. Uh, I I thought. Yeah. Uh, that's just really explains what really went down there and why suddenly Dustin Hoffman got cold feet on the directing of it and um, this whole whole thing. I would recommend. What's that? Cut to the chase. I think. Yeah. You the book? Yeah.
0: About the editing. Yeah. The editor Osteen. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah it's uh, really really good stuff. So I would recommend. And uh, any of our listeners who haven't read that too, just grab it. Uh, fascinating read. So, anyway, we'll move on to the Crocodile Dundee trilogy, which has been, I guess, uh, this is uh, what, 35 years since the release of Theatrically in America. The original Crocodile Dundee took audiences by storm in the fall of 1986. I remember I saw it in a theater like everybody else. And anyway, this collection basically is the first time all three of them have been issued together. I never even saw Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. I remember the reviews were just. Terrible, 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 and I was kind of afraid of it. But so I guess I should go and check it out and at least uh, give it a shot, maybe. I mean,
0: it's not, it's not great, but uh,
1: yeah,
0: you know, it's not like God, this is so awful. It's just uh, mediocre, like most of the rest of the series.
1: <laughs> yeah, they all are really. I, I never quite understood the. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a fine, it's a, it's a fine, you know, it's it's, it's, it's got its, its okay. charms, yeah. Right, there are a couple of chuckles here and there, but it's not, it's nothing that makes you want to return to it time and again. I never could... It was a mystery to me why it caught on, but it did. Yeah. It did. And then the... Uh, so you have the, a trailer on the first film, you have a uh, behind-the-scenes feature on the second, and then you have the making of Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles on the third film. So anyway, all three of them have been issued in a Blu-ray set. And you get them all three. A Hardball from 2001... And this stars Keanu Reeves as a uh, down in his luck, down uh, down in his luck gambler who decides to take on a a job coaching a youth baseball team, and the youths all have problems of their own. It's an inner city baseball team, and uh, directed by Brian Robbins, who now is the head of Paramount Pictures. Um, huh. It's interesting that the guy, the Brian Orbit, and... huh? Yes, yeah, he. Uh, he was he was uh, uh, voted in as the uh, the president of Paramount Pictures, so he's now running the company, uh, which is interesting. The guy well, who made Norbit, Hardball.
0: Well, yeah. so. I I would imagine it takes somebody that knows how to play Hardball to hold that job.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, the the scary thing is too that they've announced that they're going to really they're basically, with the exception of the few Tom Cruise event films they do every now and then. They're not really going to be in the theatrical business anymore. Is pretty much what they've announced. That it's all going to. They're going to make small films for the streaming service. So mm. that's the direction he's taking the company. So it's it's not going to be the Paramount that we knew as kids or. And our yeah,
0: youth. for the past 80 years.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, yeah, that's a
0: that's a long legacy for a studio.
1: Yeah, but it but is. you
0: know, who knows? Maybe maybe they'll make good movies. I don't
1: know. You never know. You never can tell. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So. Anyway, for whatever it's worth, uh, The Window is the, the um, oh, it's a 1949 RKO fi- RKO film starring Barbara Hale, uh, the late Bobby, well, I guess most of these actors are uh, deceased, but Bobby Driscoll was a child actor who met um, a particularly bad end uh, as a victim of drug abuse, I should say. But anyway, he's in this film as a little boy who uh, he has a history of making things up, and he can't convince anybody that he really saw a murder in his own apartment building, and it's a it's a nice little short 73 minute film. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, some good tension here and, uh, just no extras, but, uh, some, a nice new transfer of the window also starring, like I said, Barbara Hale, Bobby Driscoll, Arthur Kennedy, Ruth Roman, all in that. um, I think I meant the, I, I failed to mention that the new Paramount Blu-ray of Hardball also contains a commentary by Brian Robbins and the writer of the film and the making of Hardball, deleted scenes, and a music video. Mm. Uh, so we have all that, and then we have the uh, the Criterion uh, collection has issued Love and Basketball from 2000, and that has some some extras on that, some new extras, new transfer, and a uh, commentary and also issued throwdown from 2004 it's another criterion release and paramount has released a bare bones special uh, a bare bones blu-ray rather of uh, the only baseball film that i'm aware of that William Friedkin a basketball film sports film i should say that William Friedkin had anything to do with blue chips from 1994 and i want to say that this had something to do with the fact that his wife who was in charge of paramount at the time mm. urged him to do it i don't know but, uh, anyway, I never saw Blue Chips. Can't say anything about it. Really? Remember when it came out, Blue Chips yeah. Blue
0: Chips is okay. I mean, it's, it's, uh, kind of antithetical to the envelope pushing movies that we associate freaking with, but, um you yeah. know, Nick, Nick Nolte is the right actor for that part. Um, you know, you could imagine Nick Nolte as a, as a college basketball coach, uh, with the, like, oh, yeah, the, of the Bobby Knight veins popping out of his forehead kind of. <laughs> Mm -hmm. performance but uh yeah and it's it's a interesting ethical you know how we how we treat student athletes and con them and to woo them for what college they play at and you know how that runs counter to what that experience should be uh in in college you know yeah it, it raises some ethical questions it's a solid movie
1: well good. I, mean, I need to uh, rectify that. Again, I I remember quite clearly when it came out. and just not really being a basketball guy, I I just kind of skipped it. But I should have gone just simply for the fact that it was directed by William Friedkin. So yeah, and Nick always
0: friend. a f- fascinating actor. And there's a one really good scene where he vomits pea soup. I mean, it's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Shaquille O'Neal masturbates with a crucifix. It's uh, pure Friedkin. <laughs>
1: Freakin' at his finest. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: It is funny, though. I mean, in a way, it is Freakin'. If Freakin' made a sports movie, it it's Blue Chips. I mean, obviously, he did, and it was Blue Chips, but it makes sense oh, yeah. for it to be Blue Chips, because if you compare it to, like, the Midwestern basketball of Hoosiers, which is nostalgic and uh, rah-rah, and then you see Freakin''s version of that, which is very uh, cynical, uh, it... I mean, which is Blue Chips. It fits that it came from freaking, you know. Hmm. It's his version of Hoosiers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 if Freakin were to do Hoosiers, here it is. Yeah, yeah wow. So, well, we have the 1988 um, mystery thriller with Rob Lowe, Meg Tilly, and Kim Cattrall, Masquerade, which is uh, not bad of its type. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, uh, Meg... Uh, Meg Telly is the 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 girl with in town in the small town who has all the inheritance, and so Rob Lowe falls for her, and everybody assumes that he's just trying to uh, start a romance with her to get her money. And anyway, it gets a little more complicated than that. I don't want to say too much about it, but it's it's fun of its type. Features a great score by John Barry, and uh, some pretty good photography by David Watkin, who shot a lot of different films over the years. And uh, audio commentary by the director Bob Swam Swaim. S W A I M. I never could figure out how to pronounce that. Theatrical trailer, and so Masquerade from 1988 is a is a fun little thriller with a few twists and turns. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a rainy day film that's worth seeing if you don't have anything better to do and want to be amused in a in a minor sort of way. Uh, Whirly Bird is a great new documentary that's out now from Tina Lorber. This is a documentary about the husband and wife couple who pioneered the art of photographing the news via helicopter in the um oh starting in the early 1990s they came up with this idea because they were they were basically crimes they were uh, did did the uh, the news beat but they could they realized they couldn't get fast enough they did uh, their work independently they weren't contracted by a, network, a local television station but they went around uh, taking crime scene photos or whatever, and and they realized they couldn't get to the scenes quick enough. So they came up with a plan to basically, they they uh, uh, got a bank loan for a helicopter and started up this business, which is a, a pretty normal thing these days. But back in the time when they did it, it was uh, unheard of. And they were yeah. the ones who uh, photographed the, the chase, uh, OJ's uh, Bronco chase. That was them. They were the ones who did this. And they were the ones who also... Uh, did most of the coverage of the L.A. riots and it's, well, they're uh, they're Biden. one
0: of, they're one of them. I know I know the uh, main guy yeah. that shot the O.J. chase. He he is in made in America, and he went underwent a sex change operation.
1: That's them. That's oh, them. Is it really? That's, oh, okay. That's them. Yeah, this is a documentary about them, Marika uh, Gerard and Zoe Turr. Okay. He used to be known as Bob, and now he's Zoe. Yeah, this is the this is the couple they were a married couple and uh, obviously no longer together but it's uh it's quite good it's one of my uh. favorite films of the year actually uh, i would definitely it's called Whirly Bird and it was an official selection at the 2020 sundance film festival i would uh getting good reviews i would definitely recommend seeking it out it uh it's you know one of these truth is stranger than fiction type stories with a lot of twists and turns and uh you know in 1992 he was you know at the at the la riots he was the um the go-to guy and by 1998 he was Pretty much unemployable. Un- huh. unemployable. Unemployable. I'll get it out. So uh, it tells the, how they rose so fast and fell so fast. And it's uh, it's it's good. Good stuff. Whirly Bird. No extras on this, but worth seeing. And Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. That's the Steve Martin film from 1982 where they take him and uh, blend, they basically insert him into. Oh, footage from 1940s crime films like oh, um, well, you've got they use footage from Double Indemnity for one and many and many others, and it's uh, excellently photographed by Michael Chapman, the great cinematographer. Michael Chapman films this in glorious black and white, and it is amusing to watch Steve Martin interact with um, you know, with with Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, Joan Crawford, and Kirk Douglas and Ava Gardner. That's kind of fun. Uh the story itself kind of wears thin, you know, they don't really have as much it's the amusement of the 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 concept of the film is more amusing than the story itself. But Rachel Ward uh, plays in the film as the female lead and she's uh just luminous, I guess is a good way to put it, and you have Carl Reiner directs. It was their I think their second of four collaborations together. And you also have Rini Santoni, he's in it as well and um the film is written by George Geip, who uh, co-wrote this, this and The Man with Two Brains, with mm. Steve Martin. And he uh, was popular doing novelizations for a lot of films like Gremlins. He did the novelization for Gremlins. He did the novelization for Resurrection and a lot of the, the, the film novelizations you would see at that time. And he died only uh, – this is an aside, but he died four years after this film came out. He was stung by a bee, and allergic to bees, did not know it and uh, was stung in his front yard and, and died immediately, which is kind of sad aside Damn. on this film. So anyway, um, but this has a commentary by filmmaker Alan Arkush and um, Daniel Creamer, Radio Spots, TV Spots trailer. I know it's beloved by some people who grew up during that time that it ran on cable incessantly as it did, but um, it has its charms, I'll say that. Uh, Golden Needles is a Kino release from 1974. This is directed by Robert Klaus. And uh, Robert Klaus, who made *Enter the Dragon*, this has—oh, uh, this is the first time this has ever been released on any video format, I think. This is uh, yeah, Joe Don Baker, Jim Kelly, Burgess Meredith, Elizabeth Ashley, and Southern, and it's basically about this statue that can heal people, and it's worth a lot of money, and Joe Don Baker is trying to recover it from uh, these uh, underworld figures, and Jim Kelly is helping him in his search, and uh, has a score by Lalo Schifrin. They had previously collaborated on the uh, Enter the Dragon. He also did the score of that. But anyway, it's it's fun of its type of a 1974 action film. Um, you know, you could do worse with this. Golden Needles has a new commentary by Howard S. Berger, Chris Pog- Pogiali, a newly commissioned art by Vince Evans. Radio spots, image trailer, theatrical trailer. So there you go. And then we have Macho Callahan, directed by Bernard Kowalski, a very prolific director of films and uh, theatrical films and television films, and it's a uh, it's basically the story of uh, you've got uh, David Jansen who played the uh, the fugitive, and he is a man tricked, it, tricked into enlisting in the Confederate Army, and then he's thrown into jail once he uh, goes AWOL, and he's going after the man who tricked him into into enlisting, and the man is played by Lee J Cobb, and you've got Gene Seberg as the female lead in the film, and uh. Uh it starts out well but it doesn't quite have a really strong re- resolution it's beautifully photographed but it just doesn't quite hold together mm. uh, unfortunately I'd like to say that it did it's kind of in the vein of the man with no name type westerns uh, the uh, you know those those kind of things the spaghetti westerns that were made around that time it's made in 1970 and anyway uh you know it's 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 okay but uh, can't really say that it's one of the better things I've seen. Puffin' Stuff has been issued also by Kino. This is the theatrical film, of which later became the TV series H.R. Puffin' Stuff. Of course, it was a, a fixture on Saturday morning TV. Uh, this has been issued on a, a new Blu-ray uh, edition for the first time by Kino, and uh, there are a few new extras here. Skullduggery, a 1970 film starring Burt Reynolds right when he was on the cusp of, of – um, breaking into major stardom. Uh, this is one I have not seen, but this is, again, uh, another keynote release. It's an action film. And I think that covers the 21st, except The Beast is a 1975 thriller uh, being issued by Arrow with some uh, some new extras as well. Um, and then we move on to the 28th, the last day of the month for the last batch of new releases. We have Children of the Court. Issued in 4k for the first time ultra hd by arrow video with pre, it's uh they're retaining all of the old extras that were uh, appeared on the old arrow dvd as well as some new ones that were commissioned by arrow for their last blu-ray not brand new ones they were on the last blu-ray edition but they ported those over but anyway you get a new upgrade with the picture and looks good looks very good i i wish the film was better but uh Anyway, if you're if you're concerned about the picture, I did look at it and it's uh it's it's good transfer. Uh, they retain a lot of grain to make it look organic. It doesn't it's not been scrubbed free where it looks too clean. I like that. So mm. I wanted to mention that. So the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the 1923 silent version with long Chaney, has been issued by Kino also. And this is uh, has a new audio commentary by Farron Smith Neem, a booklet essay, Life in Hollywood Newsreel, which is interesting. There's a newsreel here of footage taken on the universal lot of the stars at the time working in the 1920s. And I found that quite uh, quite fascinating. Hmm. There's also 16 millimeter home movie footage of Lon Chaney from the film and video collection at the UC Berkeley Art Museum. And the uh, the music score has been uh, it's in 5.1 surround sound so it sounds great. Um, I mean you know the picture is you know what you would expect of a 1923 silent film. There's a lot of um, wear and tear on the print, but they've done the best they can with it. But uh, anyway, this was a very it was a million dollar production at the time, and I took I think it took several months to complete. And the makeup is extraordinary that Lon Chaney uh, did for the film. So uh, yeah, it's it's certainly worth seeing. Midnight is a 1981 horror film co, uh, what rather written and directed by the co-creator of Night of the Living Dead, John Russo, and this is about a, uh, a cult of uh, Satan worshipers in rural Pennsylvania that are preying on um, uh, folks who get stranded in their cars and such as the like. And anyway, there's uh, some interesting extras here, Making Midnight an interview with John Russo and Producing Midnight an interview with the producer and uh, there's an interview here with uh, Tom Savini does the makeup effects here this is a Severin film's release uh, uh, it's an interesting uh, low budget film but it's nowhere near uh, in terms of quality what you uh, get from Night of the Living Dead which suggests to me that George Romero was really the uh, that duo and they had a famous falling out uh, they didn't work together after that I think this the quality of this film suggests who was the big talent of those uh, of that mm. of those two. But uh, I had always wanted to see this, and I was curious about it. So uh, and it looks they did a good job restoring it. Lawrence Tierney uh, is the biggest name you'll find in the cast, and he's a um, an alcoholic stepfather to this girl who winds up rescuing her. Uh, yeah, you have to see the film to understand that. But anyway,
0: I'd, I'd like to visit that cemetery from
1: Night of the Living Dead. I would too that'd be a great film location to see.
0: Yeah, I've seen videos of people, you know, cuz there're lots of vi- location videos on YouTube and um yeah, that would be cool. It's I mean it's un it's unchanged really. Uh cuz they compare the shots and stuff and a lot of it's just dead on to what it was in 69. Amazing. Yeah, like those headstones you can you can line up shots by the names on the headstones in the back and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to. Uh, I've always had a desire to see that too, and I've I've been pretty close to where it was shot, but not not quite. The house is gone.
0: The house is gone, but
1: the, you can
0: see the. I think there's another house in its place, but you can stand it a lot, you know.
1: Right where it was shot.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh boy, it's too bad that it's gone. Mm. Yeah, you think they would have moved it like they did the uh, chainsaw house? You know, they moved that. Yeah,
0: Good made a restaurant out of it.
1: Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something like that, yeah. That's
0: exactly where you want to eat. Yeah, I wouldn't mind visiting that. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously we visited Michael Myers' house, which was moved as well to a dentist's office or something.
1: Yeah, right, sure. Yeah. This is true. Well, uh, we'll move along with these last couple of titles. Uh, a Night at the Opera has been issued by the Warner Archive Collection. This, of course, uh, the the um, the Marx Brothers... Groucho, Chico, Harpo in this one, um, Gummo had left uh, by this point, and uh, Zeppo. they were no longer with the, the uh, with the group with the brothers, but uh, with the act rather. But anyway, a lot of people think this is the best of the uh, uh, the Marx Brothers films. I have to say that I prefer their work with Paramount Pictures. I think they tried to tame them when they went over to MGM, and they're not quite as the the sense of anarchy is just not quite there. Uh, and they and the movie stops completely for a musical interlude with uh, Alan Jones, which I think really hurts the film. Uh, it definitely has some some great gags in it. I mean, if you're a Marx Brothers and I am, and I do appreciate it, but I don't think it's quite it's nowhere near the league of the Paramount films in my humble opinion. So, uh, but anyway, looks great on the new Blu-ray, and there's a special features a commentary by Leonard Maltin, documentary R- remarks on Marx. Which is Groucho Marx on the High Gardener Show, 1961 broadcast. Three vintage shorts. And these are interesting to people like us uh, who care about the history of Los Angeles. These are uh, Los Angeles, Wonder City of the West, Sunday Night at the Trocadero, and Robert Benchley's, Benchley's Academy Award winning How to Sleep. So, three shorts that are Los, An- Los Angeles centric, wow. or two of them at least. I would, uh, you know, worth worth your time and the original theatrical trailer.
0: Man, look. So. Uh... Doing this book on Krista, I keep hearing a lot about the different clubs that were around L.A. and New York City in the 70s. And, mm-hmm. uh, man, clubs were just such a major part of the lifestyle back then. And this one guy was telling me, I said, where did you guys – because we used to date Krista. And I said, where would you guys used to go in New York City? And he said, oh, we'd go to this place called the El Morocco. And then there was another place that we went to all the time. I'm trying to think of the name of it. It, it, It's, you know, Barry Manilow wrote a song about it. And I was like, well, I'm the world's biggest Barry Manilow fan, and it took me forever to come up with it. And finally I was like, Copacabana? And he said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We went to the Copacabana all the time. Oh, that's
1: funny. Funny, funny, funny. Yeah, just a couple more things here. Let's see. Legend, uh, the uh, 1985 Ridley Scott. Uh, film with Tom Cruise who's uh seeking a unicorn in this film. That's <laughs> <laughs> essentially what the plot is, and uh, yeah, uh, this has two cuts of the film. You know, the uh, the longer cut of the film was uh with a different score. I think Tangerine Dream did the uh the original score or something, or maybe it was Jerry Goldsmith who did the original yeah. score. The Tangerine yeah. Dream score was the American version, but anyway, both cuts have been retained by Arrow in this new 4K edition um and yeah it's it's got uh, lots of new extras and uh, they've done a really good job i think this is a blu-ray actually a legend uh, from arrow video two disc special edition with all kinds of goodies if you're a fan of ridley scott legend and there are some people who you know happen to say tom cruise tom those. cruise
0: always it's said that it right? took longer to shoot legend than it did eyes wide shut
1: uh that might be true uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that's untrue. <laughs> I know it was a troubled production. I know that. Mm. So for sure, there's definitely, and there's a lot of documentaries that cover all that on this. Uh, on this set, uh, The Damned from 1969, and this is uh, Visconti, of Visconti, course. Visconti, yeah. Yeah, from a revered 1969 film. This has a new transfer of it, obviously, and a lot of new extras and archival extras. And uh, first time ever on Blu-ray for The Damned, the uh, the Visconti film from 1969, Criterion release. And Criterion has also issued the Melvin Van Peebles Essential Films collection, which is a – and interestingly enough, this came out – uh, I think the week he died, literally. Wow. Uh I mean, passed away just coincidentally. But it includes the story of a three-day pass from 1967, Watermelon Man from 1970, Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song, of course, and Don't Play Us Cheap, uh, those from 71 and 72. There's uh, new digital restorations approved by his son on all these films. Three short films, the, 19, the 2003 Fictional feature film about the making of Sweet Sweetback, a badass that's included here. Hmm. Uh, you have the movies. one that his
0: son directed. Right. Yes. No. Hmm.
1: That's in. Yeah, that's in the box. Uh, you also get a new conversation between Mario Van Peebles and Elvis Mitchell, and you get uh, commentary by Melvin on the nineteen ninety from nineteen ninety seven for Sweet Sweetback, how to eat your watermelon in white company and and enjoy it. A two thousand five documentary on Van Peebles' life and career. And I uh, like
0: Elvis Mitchell. I do too. Yeah, okay. I th- because I think he's so smart about when he interviews people cuz he always interviews about what a movie's about, you know. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I I value that so much cuz that's so much of what's missing from the critical world. You mm-hmm. know, what's this movie saying? Um yeah, so he's he's refreshing. And then when you see him do Oscar stuff cuz they hired him last year to do red carpet stuff, he's just He's not made for the vapid "who are you wearing" kind of shit that they do on red carpets. You know, he's the no. uh, his streaks are the opposite. You know,
1: he's the antithesis. That's true. Yeah, true. Good point. Yeah, he's good. I like him. I listen to his uh, podcast from time to time, and yeah, good good stuff. Yeah, yeah good stuff. But yeah, this Melvin Van People's box it's uh it's uh quite something to behold. It's a multi disc edition, five Blu rays actually, and so. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. I've gotten through half of it and still working my way through it. So we'll, we'll and get you, there and, eventually.
0: And you think it's a coincidence that it came out the same week he died?
1: You know, that's, it's just weird <laughs> how it happened. I don't know. I don't you know. don't think
0: it's... it's some Criterion plan to sell more? Uh,
1: yeah. uh, I
0: don't want to start a conspiracy here.
1: That's <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> the Criterion conspiracy. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it is weird. So one more Severin film's release is the Italian thriller, the thriller, the fourth victim. Uh, Carol Baker had been, you know, an actress that was prevalent in Hollywood, and she, but uh, she started making Italian horror films, and uh, it was made um, between a quiet place to kill and knife of ice. Uh, and she was obviously, you know, in baby doll and something wild. Mm. But here she's the new bride of a wealthy British playboy whose three previous wives met with suspiciously accidental deaths. It's uh, directed by Eugenio Martin, and there's uh, an interview with his biographer, a deleted scene, and a trailer. So The Fourth Victim from 1971, starring Carol Baker, has been issued by Severin Films. Hmm. And then we have uh, – I haven't the,
0: seen Fourth Victim, but Something Wild is a pretty remarkable movie. I mean, it's – It is. Yeah, that's that—that's uh, kind of a – that touched a lot of nerves when it came out, and it's still got a punch yes, to it.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's good. Criterion put that out, I think a couple a couple of years back. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it's it's out there on Blu-ray. So Clue, the movie, has been issued by Paramount, from the uh, <sighs> big-screen adaptation of the board game, you know, with Tim Curry and Madeline Kahn and Eileen Brennan and I forget who all's in that. But anyway, uh, a lot of fans of that one from a certain you know, who came now, along of a certain age. Now, how do
0: they aco- uh, uh, how do they uh, accomplish the various endings? Are the various endings just bonus features or what?
1: No, I think they have an option where you can play, you know, uh, play them all, play them, uh, you know, play the movie with ending A, play the movie with ending B. I think they have different. Uh, wow. They're all there as far as I know. So uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So we have, and this will be the final uh, release that we'll talk about uh, is a new thirteen disc box Yeah, this was a this was a, this was a month for buy. Box- Accents. it's been tough for me to get through them all. I have to admit, and I've been trying, been really trying. But this is the ultimate Richard Pryor collection, uncensored from Time Life, and it is a uh, quite a, quite the collection to behold if you're a. Richard Pryor. This I would say this is the final word on Richard Pryor, in terms of uh, you know not the uh, the big screen theatrical films he made, but you know in terms of the films that feature basically just him, uh, and I'm talking about the uh, the concert films. Are all here? Every one of them. A couple of them uh, making their. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't know if they've been issued on DVD before, but anyway, you have um, Richard Pryor live and smoking. Uh, also, as an early concert from from 1971. Then you have Live on the Sunset Strip, Live in Concert, Here and Now, uh, the Richard Pryor Special from May 1977, the Richard Pryor Show from September 77. Uh, in fact, there were a couple episodes of that show that ran in the fall of 77, the Richard Pryor Show. They're all here. The Tonight Show Appearances, Merv Griffin Appearances, Pryor's Place from mm-hmm. 1984, uh, which was a short-lived show that he did. Uh, you also have JoJo's li- – JoJo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, which is the uh, his uh, autobiographical film directed by himself. And you have uh, the special when he um, – uh, when they did the uh, the salute to him, I think it was at the uh, oh, yeah. comedy yeah. store. It's here, Last Stand Up, Sitting Down is the name of it. Whoa. And um, and uh, then there was an American Cinematique tribute to him from November of 95. That's here, too. Uh, the Dick Cavett Show from 85. There's interviews with his widow, many interviews with her. There's Omit the Logic, the uh, documentary. Oh, I
0: didn't like that.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying you weren't crazy about.
0: Yeah, that. and the thing that I didn't like about it is it didn't it didn't really delve much into it. Didn't seem to understand who he was. Right. Uh, I mean, it didn't delve into why he was, where the where the art came from. Uh, and that's a Marina Z- Zinovich movie, the one that did the Polanski stuff. And I haven't been impressed with anything that she's done since the Polanski documentary. Wanted inside. it's a shame. Yeah.
1: Well. Thankfully, uh, there is an alternative to that one because there's another documentary about his life on here. It's called I Am Richard Pryor. This yeah, is directed it's probably by better. Yeah, it was on the Paramount Network for a bit, I think. But uh, Yeah,
0: isn't that like a part of that series? They just made one on Burt Reynolds?
1: I think so, yes. Yeah.
0: yes. And you said that Alive and Smoking is... What year was that?
1: Alive uh, and Smoking was
0: 1971. See, shouldn't that have been the title of of his comedy special he did after he set himself on fire.
1: <laughs> I mean that's yeah.
0: uh, I don't mean to be offensive, but that just sounds like the perfect title for for that period of time.
1: With his dark sense of humor, I'm surprised he didn't go for that joke. I'm you know he's he was known for the uh, the gallows humor. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, he certainly addresses it in his first concert film after that, which was uh, of course live on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. So um. There's yeah, some makes, interesting gets... there's
0: some interesting reviews that Pauline kale did of a review of, that Pauline did of that concert film when he returned uh-huh because she felt very in tune with him um, and it's a good review. I would recommend yeah. reading it.
1: I've got it I need to pull that out and take a look. But I haven't really gotten into the box, the Richard Pryor box yet. I'm I'm working my way through the Melvin Peebles and want to finish that. That's the next thing on the agenda. But uh, it is quite uh, quite extraordinary, and um, it's uh, like I said, 13 DVD set. Uh, I would say well worth your time. Pretty comprehensive and nice wow. nice booklet here with lots of uh, uh, personal anecdotes from his widow Jennifer. So uh, the Richard Pryor collection, uh, ultimate Richard Pryor collection uncensored. And so that will do the month of September for us, I think.